You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I feel great. Wow. I feel magnificent. That's, whew, that's, you're rating it very highly. I am. That's great to hear. I am a, I'm just soaring on the wings <laughs> of an eagle. Okay, I'm starting to doubt now. <laughs> That's it's starting to feel it's a little forced. too much. A little too much. <laughs> no, this will sound really weird, but I got a full night's sleep Whoa, last buddy. night, and I feel like a new man. So yeah, I just feel like I can I can take on the world. That is great. You know, so that's great. Yeah, that's that's mm. it. How about you? I'm feeling pretty excellent. Pretty excellent. Yeah. Something off topic. I would just like to share. Please. It's been on my mind lately. Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm I'm ready. It's I not, think I don't not, know. I'll find out. It's not that important. <laughs> As it's all you, important, Ethan. <laughs> uh, as you well know, I am uh, a particular fan of the one known as Daredevil. Ah, uh, yes. My yes. favorite superhero of all time. Yes. Numerous reasons. Yeah. Not worth going into. <laughs> what I would like to discuss is that he is, in his day job, a lawyer, an attorney, a practicing man of law. Yes. Yes. And so, yeah, right. So whether it's I'm like a good lawyer, <laughs> whether whether it's like in written form or on, of course, the Netflix TV show, when he is in that place, in that in that position, that post, he is functioning in that atmosphere as mm-hmm. a lawyer. His speeches are excellent. Mm. You know, he delivers, and not only, of course, does that mean the writing delivers. The actor, in this case, Charlie Cox, mm-hmm. he's excellent. He really delivers in the moment, and it's like, wow, I'm convinced, even if only on an emotional level, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> you kind of know who's bad and who's not. Um, right, right. But it's like there's a well-written kind of good speech-like moment, mm. very very movie-esque, even if it's in the written format. Yeah. So it's like, wow, okay, attorneys at law, how cool. Is it always like that? No. <laughs> Because I've also been listening to a lot of true crime stuff. No one's surprised. I found a, I found a new one, though. Oh. Yeah, and I was listening to it last night, in fact. And there are these snippets from the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And I heard from both the prosecuting attorney and the defense attorney. And they both had these moments where they're making speeches to the jury. Yeah. Not great. They're not great at it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're just people too. You're just actual people. Because I think I would do that well. It was not, it was not the inspiring moment I mm-hmm. had dreamed of. Yeah. It was like, did you mean to say that word twice in Setting two sentences? Because that mm-hmm. was like not, and here's the really, really obnoxious part. I think I would probably be trying to stifle like a laugh or something. I'm like, bro, you thought that was like, you thought that was a good That was line? a rhetorically powerful movement? Yeah. Is that what you thought? Because you can tell like they thought that was a good sentence and it was not a good sentence. Oh. Very uncompelling sometimes. Certainly not the case for everyone. I'm sure there are people out there like delivering the best of the mm-hmm. best, but they weren't on that podcast. <laughs> so if you're out there and you're like, this person gave a, de- a demolished the, the opposition in their closing speech, let me know. Because it wants it's to like, listen. Yeah, like, but in real life. It has to happen in real life because I know it can happen in Daredevil. <laughs> Matt Murdock is an excellent lawyer. <laughs> excellent brick catching lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> a little Spider-Man reference for uh, yeah, you there. So. That's an interesting point because I feel like there are the, I don't know for lack of a better term, rhetorical and oratorical careers yeah. of which like lawyers and pastors would Yeah, that's a good fit. example. Mm-hmm. Like you should be able, classically and historically, it would be like, oh, you need to be good at rhetoric. Yes. You need to be able to deliver. Mm-hmm speech because potentially someone's life is on the line yes or if it's like if you're a prosecuting attorney your viewpoint is that innocent lives are on the line if you don't succeed right so you need to be able to persuade yeah and 
I think that's it. people, you know, we watch TV shows mm-hmm. and we think, oh, anyone who fulfills one of these rhetorical offices, well, surely they can do that. <laughs> right. And the reality is, is like, okay, maybe they can do the job, but they're not giving you the Matt Murdock. Yeah. You know? A screenwriter didn't help them with their speech. Right. You know, and it's not like we've talked about the West Wing. Morgan and I love the West Wing. Yeah. It's like, listen, Martin Sheen, not only is Aaron Sorkin. Like, an amazing writer. Very good. I mean, one of the best. Truly. But then you have him writing for an actor like Martin Sheen, who's playing President Bartlett, Mm -hmm. and delivering this speech. It's like, wow. Yeah. That was moving. I am roused. (laughs) I am roused, you know? And uh, that's just not, you know, that's not always the reality. Like, just because you're a politician doesn't mean that you're, you know... (laughs) Even like, quote unquote, successful, like you made it to high office doesn't right. mean. Yeah. That's very interesting. Very interesting comparison and the, mm. the need to, you know, exercise those those skills. That was a, it was a big deal to the Romans and the Greeks to be able to That's true. do that. I don't think I'd make it too far. Now, you look at those guys and it's like, they were, it, it feels like they were all actually good at that. Like mm. if you were going to be, but I'm sure they weren't. Anyway, yeah. I digress. You know, things happen. You know what else happens what once happens? in a blue moon? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what happens once in blue moon I do want to make sure I'm actually not like just saying it to be funny what I'm about to describe is extremely rare yeah but it has happened and it is mind boggling (laughs) okay I'll be talking to someone probably about some sort of theological topic or other and we'll get to talking about the biblical foundations of some doctrine that maybe isn't super popular today like penal substitutionary atonement like believe it or not that's like it's really not popular today (laughs) and every once in a while, especially like if I'm quoting Paul or something, I'll hear someone say something like, well, things come down to a statement between Jesus and Paul. I choose Jesus every oh, time because okay. Paul, Paul was a flawed sinner, whereas Jesus, he was the perfect son of God. So, <laughs> you know, Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on. OK, so what that basically suggests is that scripture is unevenly inspired. Oh, yes. So, so potentially, uh, it was just inaccurate in some places. Yes. And only the red text is profitable. Correct. I'm, there's some issues right here. Even the way he said it. Like, I can imagine the person in my mind's eye. I can picture the tone. The, I even picture a little bit of sass because I'm not being generous. Ethan's not assuming the best. I'm not. I could also imagine punching them in the teeth. It's just like, the, it's the fact that they said every time at the end of it. I choose Jesus every time. Oh, oh man. That's frustrating You're going to go me. like, uh, you know, full uh, full St. Nicholas on Arius here, you know, which just in case you know, the real St. Nicholas that we base Santa Claus off of, it's apocryphal, but he punched a heretic in the face. That is. We don't know if that actually happened. Really, it probably didn't actually I, happen, but I love the story. Right. I just, I'm like, yeah, yeah, punch Arius in the face. <laughs> You know, which is a diatribe here. The the joke is at the debate Council of Nicaea when they were talking about the Trinity, Christ, and persons. They were like, is the difference between like homoousia and homoousius? Like there's like, I may have gotten those two Greek words wrong, but like it was the difference between like one letter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I could just picture old St. Nick, you know, going up to Aries and going, ho, 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 Usias, <laughs> you know, like punching him in the face, you know. It's a catchphrase. Yeah, right. So, I love that. Anyway, I botched all those Greek, you know, don't fact check me on those Greek terms because I'm, I can't remember which letter, it, <laughs> and I should, I need to know that. That's the kind of thing I'm, I'm supposed to know. Anyway, <laughs> back to the topic at hand. Yeah. On the top of it, you think that, like, I choose Jesus over Paul, Paul mm. was a flawed sinner, Jesus is the perfect son of God. I mean, 
on the top of it, that might seem hard to counter. I mean, by purely superficial standards. Like, what are you going to do, try to argue against Jesus? Yeah, like, uh. yeah. And, I mean, the statement is true as far as it goes. Oh. And, and what I mean by that is that if Jesus and Paul were physically standing in this room right now, <laughs> we would bow the knee to Jesus and not Paul, right? We worship Certainly Jesus. would hope so. Yeah, and like, for that matter, Paul would join us, right. right? And we could even take it a step further. Imagine that Paul comes to your new house, Ethan. He, he waltzes in. He's like, hey, can I have dinner with you? Yeah, you know, well, okay. I, probably, you know, like, uh, sure. Guess Paul. I'll make an eggs. <laughs> So he sits, you know, at your table, your island. It has to be the island because I don't have a table yet. (laughs) He sits at the (laughs) island and he starts waxing eloquent on some theological subject. But then, just as he's polishing up his last run-on sentence, because that's what he does, (laughs) you know, that's how he goes. Jesus walks in and says, you know, which first of all, whoa, everyone bows down, you know, like... (laughs) The deified, the divine glory of Christ, you know, it's just pervaded your house. So the first thing you do is bow down and, you know, beg that you don't die. Right. But then next is he says, hey, Paul, what you said wasn't quite right. Allow me to correct, clarify, etc. In that case, if that were to happen, of course you would go with what Jesus said. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. On the face of it. (laughs) If the two of them were somehow arguing in front of me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sure. But, like, tell me where that is actually happening without twisting the context. Yes! Because it, it sounds a little bit like, to me, there, there's an interpretive problem. Yes, exactly. And that's precisely the problem, is that when, in regard to the scriptures, people say things like that. Like, I choose Jesus over Paul. They think they're in the situation where it's mm. like, oh, I got them in my house at my dining room table, both of them talking and arguing or whatever. That's not how scripture works, though, at least not by the historic standards of Christian orthodoxy. These standards that were widely accepted and held until really the 18-1900s. That was when that was really challenged and changed in the minds of not even Christians. It was philosophers. But anyway, another podcast for another time. (laughs) Um, Because according to the standards of historic Christian orthodoxy, When Paul is writing in his apostolic office under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is speaking through those words, right? Theologically, (laughs) you want to learn some fancy theological speak, by the principle of inseparable operations, Hmm. we would say like, oh, it was the Holy Spirit, person of the Holy Spirit specifically, we would appropriate him as inspiring the authors of scripture Mm -hmm. so that their words were God's words. Right. But the Trinity is so united, right? It's one God, three persons, that you can't speak of the Holy Spirit doing it without saying, oh, well, like, Jesus is doing it, and so Mm. is the Father doing it, if that makes sense. So, again, what we're saying is when Paul is writing divine scripture, the office of apostle, Jesus is speaking through Paul, right? And it's like I said, Christians have by and large believed this, like, all along. And you read through the Nicene Creed. I mean, that shows up nice and quick. Peter, he says the same thing in his letter. He says the Old Testament prophets were carried along by the Spirit of Christ. Ah. You know, he even throws Christ into the Old Testament writings. Now, some people might want to say, you know, like, well, you're letting the apostles testify of their own authority, and that doesn't work. Well, again, (laughs) you have to take heed because Jesus himself said, (laughs) he said that his Spirit would speak through the apostles. Mm. Referring to the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John, in the Upper Room Discourse, he will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Mm. All that the Father has is mine. So again, we're seeing all three persons of the Trinity in operation here. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So in other words, like, what is being declared by the apostles is what Jesus is declaring and giving through the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to take Jesus at his own word, 
we're reading Jesus's words when we read Paul's words. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, John calls Jesus the word, right? I mean, that's like famously how he refers to Jesus in yeah. that prologue in John. He says, the word, the word that was with God. It's so like, you know, a distinct person. And yet the word that was God, referring to that triune reality. So we should really be treating this as unsurprisingly, having the same spiritual authority. Yes, exactly. And that's how Orthodox Christianity has understood the witness of Scripture for millennia. And uh, naturally, that's the standard by which churches are naturally called to submit themselves. So, yes, it's true to say that Paul was a flawed sinner. And he even went so far to say that he was the chief of sinners. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, he didn't, he wasn't out here trying to say, like, oh, yes, I have achieved theosis or something. (laughs) Like, I am divine now. I am sinless. I'm perfect. But... But when he authored the letters, which we now have in our New Testament, God was the chief author working through him. So if we say things like, I choose Jesus over Paul, we're not actually pitting Jesus against Paul. According to Jesus, we're trying to pit Jesus against Jesus. (laughs) And as Jesus himself once said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So doesn't work. You landed that plane very nicely. That's it. Just that was good. That was smooth concise. Smooth landing on the tarmac. And as the as the plane rolls into its terminal, <laughs> you know, on a similar note, you might occasionally hear something similar to this in regards to the Old Testament. Ah. But again, and this started with Marcion in the third century, second century. I can't remember what century it was. My educators would be so disappointed in me. But um, and he notes. wanted to say that like uh, the Old Testament, we need to rid ourselves of that. Doesn't count anymore. No, which is really silly (laughs) to put it mildly because again Jesus himself said he came not to abolish the law and prophets not to get rid of them not to cut them off but to fulfill them right like that's that's what he came to do and he said that all the scriptures in the old testament testified to him in John 5 39 he's like those books were really about me all along so you can't just be rid of them because they are again in a word his words they are the same divine words that we get in our new testament if you want to think about it, because they're different, I can't remember who said this, but it's it's been a helpful little phrase for me. It could use a little elaboration, and maybe we'll do that in an episode one day. But like, the Old Testament is the gospel concealed, and the New Testament is the gospel revealed. So like, you get the gospel in the Old Testament, but it's like under shadows, and it's leading you to ask questions like, where are we going with this stuff? Yeah. And then the New Testament reveals it. And they both continue to interpret each other, hmm. right? It's like when you're reading the New Testament, you're not going to understand the letter to the Hebrews if you're not familiar with the Levitic priesthood and the sacrificial system, right? Right. But consequently, when you go back and read about the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system, it's informed by what you read in Hebrews. And you kind of get this interpretive grid where they're helping you understand each other. You get extra context that's going to help clarify something. It's going to help you understand more richly. Mm-hmm. What you're reading? Yeah, scripture interprets scripture. Yeah, I think on a pastoral level, this sort of thinking continues to reveal that our problem is actually with Jesus. Like our problem at root is actually with God. Hmm. Problem isn't primarily with the apostles; it's with the Trinity, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's, of course, been the case all along for all people in all places. Yeah. It's not a new problem. It's not a unique problem to our day and age and our context in the world. Right. It's the problem of all people everywhere in all places and times. But thanks be to God, his grace abounds even to us. As Paul said, it even abounded to the chief of sinners, right? He said, I was the worst blasphemer. I persecuted the church of Christ, and yet grace was shown to me. And uh, the reason we know about such grace precisely is through men like Paul. Like Jesus has told us about himself and about his grace through men like Paul, Peter, John, the prophets. And so here's the other thing at the end of the day. 
Because I think, you know, you mentioned like an interpretive problem at the mm-hmm. beginning. You're like, ah, it's not like that <laughs> Jesus and Paul are arguing. There's like an interpretive problem here. The scriptures should more or less constantly keep us from creating a God in our own image, <laughs> right? They should, as it were, consistently, for lack of a better term, surprise us as God speaks to us through them and reminds us like, oh, I'm nothing like what you imagined because I am who I am. You have to have a concept of God in your mind, like, and he has revealed himself. So like you should, right? But that working definition, for lack of a better term, that working concept, you constantly need it refined because you're not infallible. (laughs) You do not have perfect knowledge. And I think that's the other thing people want is like, they expect that like, oh, well, like, how come we haven't come to a perfect, you know, if, if, if scripture speaks clearly, how come we haven't come to a perfect understanding of it? Like, well, we're not infallible. Right. That's a human faculty in us that's flawed is our knowledge and our ability to grasp knowledge. So all that is to say is that when God reveals himself in a way that we can understand, which he has through the scripture, like he's, to use the term, he's condescended to our level in a way that we can understand. Yeah, we should be able to say, well, here is who God is and here's what he's like. And we should be able to say that truly. At the same time, understanding, it always needs to be refined. Like it should always in some sense surprise us because he's an infinite God, which means like you're never going to get to the bottom of him, right? Like he should always be surprising you with, right. with new depths of understanding of who he is. And apart from scripture, we are doomed, absolutely doomed to the eternal disappointment of worshiping a God who looks and has the same pitiful lack of power <laughs> as we do. Mm, man, you know? as, uh, as Voltaire put it, God created man in his own image and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Did Voltaire actually say that? I don't know. That's wild. I've never heard that before. I heard that recently. Like, I, I'm not like suspiciously knowledgeable about fun little quotes. I just heard it recently. That sounds like something that I, would... Yeah, I did look know, it up. I'm like, well, you know. Voltaire would say. It's, but it's I just never heard thing, that's a great a, little <laughs> saying. I'm so, <laughs> yeah. sorry. just kind of caught me. I was like, that's a great little saying. <laughs> I, I half wonder if it's the sort of thing where it's like, the blood of the pact is thicker than the water of the womb, which is like, eh, maybe slightly inaccurate, but it's it's something we say that is and the original we, thing, and yeah. now it kind of is. Yeah. So maybe Voltaire said that. Either I, way, I like it. Yeah, like whether he said it or not, like that's that's such a good way to put it. Yeah, that he made us in his image, and we've been trying to repay the favor ever since because that's true. And that is, I think, the problem is like anytime we bump up, and this is true of me. It it should be true of everybody. But when we bump up against passages of scripture that maybe at first make us squirm a little bit, oh yeah, that's actually a healthy sign because it means that we're recognizing. Oh, God is who he is. Like, if if you went through, like, you should agree with scripture. <laughs> like, you should submit to it and you should agree with it. But if there was never anything that scripture confronted you with, <laughs> that would be weird. Yeah. Like, because again, you're not infallible and your conception of God is not perfect. Mm-hmm. It's like, if it wasn't somehow challenging you once in a while, that would be a little odd. Yeah. Like, if you were constantly like, oh, God is exactly like how I imagined him and he would never... <laughs> You know, when people say, my God would never do blank. Anytime you lead off of that, I'm like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. That's not good because what you're really saying at the bottom of that is like, if God isn't the way I'd want him to be, I can't worship him. Exactly. So in scripture, if we're reading it with an open heart and faithfully and prayerfully, it preserves us from that. Mm. That's really tyrannical. I mean, you end up, I forget who it was that said, you know, the modern religion is so disappointing because you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and realize, oh, God looks like that. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. So there we go. It's not Jesus versus the Bible. Mm. It's, It's Jesus always speaking through it. So thank you as always for listening. Hopefully you'll pick up your Bible today if you haven't already and let the Lord speak to you. 
If you found this helpful and you want to leave us an honest five-star review, we know that's not infallible. We know we're not infallible. No. But, you know, it's help. It's encouraging. (laughs) It is. Great. It really is. This is enlightening in any way. And uh, if you want to share with your friends, and if you have any questions on this or any other topic, feel free to email us, podcast at horizonschurch.net, or interact with us on social media. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will catch you next time.